0: This morning, with God's help, we will be considering verses 11 through 15. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead. The great and the small standing before the throne and books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life and the dead were judged from the things that were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And the dead and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. And now to the preaching of his word. Saints, would you join me in prayer? Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with us now as we consider the final judgment. Help we who have trusted in Christ not fear this day, but look forward to the rewards that will be issued to us because of Christ on that particular day. But Lord, let those who are not in Christ, let them have a holy fear that would cause them to turn to Christ today. Lord, I decrease that you may increase, be glorified in Christ's name we pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we uh, now continue our study through the apocalypse of John. The last time that we had opened the pages of this book of visions, we considered the final release of Satan... And the final defeat of Satan at the end of the symbolic 1000 years, Satan will be released from his bondage. That is, is being restricted from comprehensively blinding the eyes and blinding the hearts of men to believe in Christ. At the present time, Satan is not permitted to deceive all nations in this comprehensive manner to both reject christ and to oppose his church but uh, make no mistake satan is most certainly deceiving nations at this present time but he's only allowed to do so in a limited fashion by god's decree there shall come a time when the symbolic four winds that are holding back the four corners of the world holding back the winds of the four corners of the world they will be released that is the angels who are holding back demonic forces they will allow those demonic forces to be released by god's command and satan and his minions will swarm the earth as locusts swarm grain fields satan will be released and he will be permitted to deceive the nations blind their eyes from seeing christ as savior and lord also Satan will, will deceive the nations to collectively persecute the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is coming. This will be the time when uh, Gog and Magog, that ancient way of speaking of wicked nations, when they will gather to make war against the church of Christ. They will gather around the camp of the saints. They will gather around the beloved city of God. And just as they attempt to strike her down, the scriptures teach that fire will come down from heaven and devour them, devour the enemies of God. The church will suffer physical harm, but our souls will not be lost on that final day. The Lord will fight for his people and again, bring all of his enemies under his feet once and for all. I said this in our prayer, um, I think of, of confession let us not fear that day. Let us not be anxious or dismayed about potential suffering that the church, we, the believers of God, that we might experience. Let me say that we will experience. The suffering that the church will experience, it will be light. It will be momentary. And it will wake uh work in us a, a, a an eternal weight of glory. We have a sure promise. That Christ is already victorious. That if we are in Christ, that we also are already victorious. And finally, also this. The devil who has deceived the nations, he will be thrown into the lake of fire. And he will suffer there day and night, symbolically, forever and ever without end. There will not be an end to his torment. He will no longer be a reality in your and my lives. He will suffer there forever and ever. He who opposes Christ and His church will be no more. He who tempts now will no longer be allowed to tempt. He who uh, accuses now, in a way, will no longer be allowed to, to accuse. He who lies will no longer be allowed to lie. He who steals will no longer be able to steal. He who kills and destroys will no longer be able to do these things any longer. He will be destroyed. There will be No more temptation for you saints. No more accusations. No more deceptions. No more theft. No more destruction. No more death. Satan will be no more. Satan will be no more. He has been defeated. And he will soon, because he knows his time is short, he will soon suffer his final defeat in the lake of fire. Read that whenever you are discouraged. Read that whenever you are facing temptation and trial in your life. Go back to the scriptures. Read Revelation chapter 20, verses 10 through 12, and remind yourself of this. Satan will be no more. This is not a book of defeat, dear ones. This book of Revelation, it's not a book of defeat. It is a book of courage. It is a book of victory from Christ, our shepherd, our great high priest to you, his beloved bride. Rejoice when you read Revelation. Give God praise when you read Revelation. For in it, God declares his victory for himself and for you, his people. Today, with God's help, we will consider the final judgment upon humanity. And we will do so, do so, I will say to you just right off the bat, with two very long points. Number one, God, the holy, righteous judge. Number one, God, the holy, righteous judge. Verse 11. Then I saw a great, listen to this, white, listen to this, throne. Those three. And him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them, heaven and earth, earth and heaven. The Apostle John is given a final vision, a vision of, I should say, final judgment of all mankind. It is the day that God has fixed to judge the world, Acts 17. In Matthew 25, the Lord Jesus described this final day as the day when He will return with His glory, in His glory, with His angels, and He will sit upon His glorious throne. Here in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15, uh, we are given a picture of what has been confessed in the Nicene Creed, that Christ will come again, with glory to judge both the living and the dead. Here our Lord is described as being enthroned upon his seat of judgment. Revelation chapter twenty, verse eleven through fifteen is speaking about judgment. The whole context is judgment. Verse eleven. Then I saw here are these three things: a great white throne. Back in Revelation chapter four, John was invited into the presence of God. Revelation four, two. Immediately, John says, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. Now, as John is nearing the end of these series of visions that he's receiving, he's brought back again to this great throne of God. The throne of God is called, here's the word, great. It is only so it is only great insofar as God is great. Hear me now. The throne is not great apart from God. But God gets or gives greatness to the throne. Do you get that distinction? The throne is not great on its own. God gives greatness to the throne because He sits upon it. Now we're going to get to that, what that means in a moment. God gives greatness to the throne. The throne does not give greatness to God. You get that distinction? I hope you do. John receives this vision of something that's great. It's God. He's sitting upon the throne. He's about to deliberate or give His judgment. God, though, is communicating that He is sitting on this great, here's here's the word now, throne, right? Is God actually sitting on a throne the way a man sits on a throne or the way a royal person sits on a royal throne? Is God actually in heaven sitting somewhere on a piece of furniture? Is God... No, no. the answer is no. God is communicating to his human agent, John, by way of symbols, right? Revelation is a book of symbols. So we should not imagine that God is sitting as a man sits on a throne as a human king sits upon a throne. Are you with me? When you think about God, don't think about God, um, left hand, right hand, sitting upon a throne in heaven on a piece of furniture. We should not imagine that what the prophet saw in Isaiah chapter 6 of the Lord sitting on on a throne with his train. If you guys know what a train is, um, when when a royal person walks with a long robe, they have what behind them is called a train, with his train filling the temple. That is meant to be understood, not literally, but symbolically. God does not wear a royal robe. Um, you're not going to go to heaven one day and see God walking around with a long robe. It's not going to happen, right? He doesn't wear a, a robe as as... Uh, the Ruggednau men are, are known for, for whatever reason, wearing robes around the house. God doesn't wear robes around the house, around around heaven, the way that men wear robes around heaven or around around earth. I'd say it that way, right? Rather, through these human examples, we are to gain something. We are God is communicating something to us about Himself. What is it then? Well, we've got something great—a throne and a robe. It is that God is majestic. That God is supreme. That God is ruler. God does not sit upon a piece of furniture in heaven the way rulers sit upon pieces of furniture on earth. With me? Rather, God gives John a great vision to communicate again His supreme majesty. Here's another one. His supreme authority. That that He rules as maker of heaven and earth. That is the symbolism that is being communicated by these royal things. You with me? Also... He is judge of all creation. Because God rules over heaven, rules over earth, all of creation. He is supreme ruler. He, He is great. He is most high. There is no one above God. No gods before Him, no gods after Him. He alone is almighty. Listen to this. He alone is great. I, I confess, I often use that word for a lot of things. Oh, that's great. Oh, you did this? That's great that player is great. Uh, for says, only only God is great. Uh, great in the greatest sense of the word, Only God is great. Amen. Here John sees a great throne, right? God is great. He is ruling upon this throne. And John also sees that this throne is white. John is not referring to the literal color of white. That's important. But that God Almighty not only rules, God is not only majestic, but that God also rules, and when He judges, He will do so perfectly or flawlessly, or listen to this, um, in the most holy manner. We are to understand God as being purely holy. The one who resides over His throne, the one who resides over heaven is holy. And when he executes judgment, he will do so without flaw. When God executes judgment, there will be no missing information in the judgment of God. Uh, Someone will not be able to run into the courthouse and say, wait a minute. God, there is a piece of information that I would like to issue into this case in order to vindicate me. No, God, who knows all things, will rule perfectly, judge perfectly, and there will be no error in his judgments. John is seeing There is great almighty God there. John is seeing that he is the one who is and who was and now who is come. John will see also that when he deliberates and gives his judgment in the courtroom, there will be no one who will be able to give any word against God's judgment. It will be a perfect, holy, righteous ruling. Here at the end of the 20th chapter, court is in session. God will declare his verdict upon men. And when he declares his judgment, it will be a holy verdict based upon the incorruptible righteousness of God. On that great day, God will pour out his wrath, as it were, on all wicked. It will be a terrifying day for the wicked. The angels declare in, in Revelation sixteen five Righteous are you, you who are and who were, O holy one, because you judge these things. The saints of heaven who have trusted in Christ will proclaim, yes, O Lord, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. No one will say of God too harsh. Uh, No one will say of God unjust. Uh, No one will say of God when He executes His his judgment, uh, you've gone too far. In light of God seated upon His great white throne of judgment, preparing to cast verdict upon humanity, John sees, listen to this, John sees that earth and heaven desire to flee. Think about that. And no place is found for them. Uh, little ones, uh, or maybe older ones, let's do the older ones, maybe not, maybe not the little ones, but but older ones. Do, do you ever remember parents being upset and preparing to to discipline your brother or sister, or maybe even you, And what you most often wanted to do when discipline was coming, I'll say what it is, run and hide. When dad and mom were upset, uh, show me the the quickest, nearest exit. Here in Revelation, John sees that earth and heaven want to flee as God is preparing to pour out his wrath of judgment. Revelation chapter 6, verse 16, you remember this. They said, the wicked, to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us. Why? Hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. God is coming to judge, to discipline. Get me out of here. Similar language is, is here used, and it is our cue to see that John is giving us the same exact moment from a different angle. In Revelation 6, the unbeliever wants to flee. In Revelation 20, heaven and earth want to flee from God's judgment. Now, why? It is because earth and heaven, heaven and earth, they want to flee because they too, earth, listen to this, and heaven, have been tainted by the sin of men and angels. And no place is found for them to hide when God Almighty casts his verdict of judgment upon All creation. Humanity specifically. You know the verse, Romans 8, 22. For we know the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Thank you, Pastor Isaiah. Here, the Apostle Paul is referring to the great anticipation for all things to be rightly ordered. I'm going to say that slower. Here, Paul is referring to the great anticipation for all of creation, you and I included, earth and heaven included, to be rightly ordered once again. What does that mean? It means that when man fell, creation did not attain what it was meant to be. When man fell, creation stopped becoming, on man's side, What men were supposed to take it to by the decree of God, by the command of God. Paul says that creation was subjected to futility. Uh, Futility means pointlessness, uselessness. The earth was created so that it might be what we see that it will become in Revelation's the last few chapters of Revelation, that is the holy dwelling place of God. The earth was to be what the Garden of Eden began to be. The garden was planted by God. It was meant to be expanded throughout the entire world, making the world the holy place of God. But rather, because because of man's sin, because of Adam's sin, that which which was meant to be expanded, stopped. The earth that was supposed to be the unique... I'm just for, get used to this Genesis talk because as we get to the last few chapters we're going to hear a lot about Genesis again that which was meant to be spread throughout the earth by man's obedience to God was put to an end by man's disobedience to God the earth therefore did not become what it was meant to be the holy dwelling place of God the place where all men loved God and enjoyed God forever The earth was created for a holy purpose. But when Adam sinned, creation was subjected to futility because man no longer used the earth for the glory of God, but man used the earth for the glory of himself. The earth is subjected to futility. Paul says that creation had no other choice but to yield to man because it was the way that God ordered all things, Romans 8.20, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. The earth didn't want to do this, but God decreed it this way. So that when the time for God, the holy judge, to rise and execute his righteousness, even earth desires to flee from the wrath of God. Now, it's important that we ask this, does the earth have a soul in the way that man has a soul? Meaning this, can the earth reason the way that man reasons by saying, oh, uh... When a tree is cut down, don't cut me and use me for that. I've been used, I'm supposed to be for this. Does that make sense? Can can a tree cry out and say, no, don't do that to me? Can grass say, "Ah, oh, I don't want to be used that way? Can water say, oh, you're polluting me? N- no. Uh, they don't have souls in the way that you and I have rational souls. Pastor Isaiah talked about this a while ago on, on the three different kinds of souls. But there is a functionality that is natural to creation. Meaning, creation has been ordered by God to be used in a particular way and for particular purposes. Corrupted man has taken and twisted creation and polluted it, not using it for its purpose and ultimate goal. Purpose to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Rather, man is using used creation to satisfy his own desires and not to give God glory. So it is a metaphor of saying the earth is ashamed, as it were, of man's sin and also desires, we'll get to this in a moment, to flee because God is absolutely holy and when his wrath is poured out, everything wants to run from him. Everything unholy wants to run from him. Mankind has corrupted creation and has subjected the sins of men to the futile abuses of creation. Now, heaven is included in that. Earth wants to flee because earth has been misused by man. And heaven also wants to flee because heaven has been tainted by sin. Who is sinned in heaven? We know that Satan and the angels have sinned in heaven. The devil, who is Satan, sinned and rebelled against God, not on earth, but in heaven. Pride was found in his heart. He was cast out of heaven. He was cast out of heaven. And also angels who were also um, deceived, uh, or who, who deceived themselves. Someone go, like, Satan deceived them. No, I think they deceived themselves. They, they believed something similar to Satan, but it, we would not say that Satan is the one who said, Hey guys, come with me. This took place in heaven. This act of treason took place not on earth but in heaven and as a result, even heaven desires to flee from the holy judge who in Revelation 20 rises to execute his righteousness upon humanity and creation. But Paul says that in Romans that God purposed for creation to be corrupted. Revelation chapter 8 verse 20 through 21. Why? In hope that creation itself would be set free from the slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Will heaven and earth be destroyed, obliterated? Um, we're going to get to that probably next week in chapter 21. Let me give a brief answer. Heaven and earth will not be destroyed. Rather, I believe heaven and earth will be restored. That which that which um, was created first will be the last. To be restored. That which was created last. Was first to be restro- restored. There is a kind of re- restoration taking place. From the end to the beginning. You were made last. You were restored first. Heaven and earth were made last. They will be restored last. We'll get to that next week. <clears throat> Meaning this. Rightly ordered. Prepared to be ultimately divinized. Heaven and earth. Fleeing is a metaphor of, and we'll talk if that's if you're stuck on what I just said, we'll get to it next week. Heaven and earth fleeing from uh, the presence of God is a metaphor of saying that when God judges, every unholy thing will desire to flee from God at that moment. Every unholy thing will desire to flee from God at that moment. Earth and heaven were created first and will be restored last or rightly ordered And prepared to be divinized. We'll talk about that next week. All things have a purpose. And that is that they will ultimately be rightly ordered and used for God's glory. Heaven will come down to earth and it will be the holy dwelling place of God. We'll talk about that next week. This is the moaning of the earth. This is the groaning of the earth. The judgment and restoration will take place because God is great. Because God is holy. Because God is ruler over all creation. He will not allow wickedness to escape unpunished, and he will also not allow good things that he has made to not be rightly restored for their proper order. God will do this. He is the holy, righteous judge of the earth. Number two. Judgment from the books. This is verses 12 through 15. I'm not going to read them. You can read those for, for yourself later. Verses 12 through 15. John sees the dead, great and small, standing before the throne which assumes that the great resurrection of all mankind is taking place. We must remember that these last things, we're, we're reading them and, and studying through them over a period of weeks, but these last things are actually happening in a relatively short amount of time. Um, theoretically, one day. The last day will be a busy day. let <laughs> say it that way. The last day is going to be a very busy day. The point, very simply, is that On the day of judgment, all mankind will stand and give an account to God. Now, we're going to make some distinctions here, okay? Daniel chapter 7, verse 10, write that down for later. The books were opened, Daniel sees. And another book was opened, Daniel says, which is the book of life. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. Standing before the throne, John says, and books were opened. And another book was opened, and John says, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Now, here's what John is doing. He's drawing from Daniel's prophecy, and he's seeing a time when Daniel's prophecy will be fulfilled. He, he in a sense, is doubling down that what Daniel saw will truly happen. It will be the final judgment of all things. It is the the culmination of the judgment that is already set in motion through the person and work of Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. We've seen this judgment before. Revelation chapter 11, 11, 18. The nations were enraged, and your wrath came. That's judgment. And the time came for the dead to be judged. Here John sees that every human being who has, listen to this, every human being who has ever lived. Let that sink in your mind for just a second. Every human being who has ever lived will give an account to God the Lord of all life will examine with his blazing eye every single human being who has ever lived. Verse 13 of chapter 20, the sea, this is important, gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. The the image of resurrection is that the dead will give back the dead. be raised to life. The dead will be forced to give back the dead to be raised to life. All men, from all time, from Adam to the last man, whoever that may be, will stand before God. Can you imagine the... I'm going to use the word, the great, uncountable, unknowable number, except known by God, I can't even call it, multitude, that will stand before God and give an account. There's no wonder why it is as many as sand on the seashore. Next time you go to the beach, just imagine all those, those grains being human beings. The focus here, though, seems to be on the unbelieving dead. That word dead is important. It's possible that the believer will stand before God in a certain way. We'll talk about what that may be. But the sea, let's focus on that. The sea is not those who have died in the oceans. Rather, the sea is symbolic of the realm of wickedness. It is the depths of demonic evil, the sea is. The realm of evil which satanic forces operate and which imprisons all unbelievers. It is, in a sense, it would be hell that has not yet come. Uh, Satan and his demonic forces must give up all those who are right now suffering in what we technically call, what what would we call hell, but not technically hell. You with me? The place of the damned. That's better. place of the damned. There will come a time when the captives in the place of the damned and those who have held them captive, will stand before God and face God's judgment. That is the sea. Uh, will those who have died in the sea be raised to stand before God? Yes. But John's not talking about people who have died in the oceans, because then he would be distinctly, he would also say, those who died on mountains, those who died in the desert. Rather, there's something symbolic about sea, which is the realm of demonic evil. Okay? They must give up their dead. The distinction between C also is between death and Hades. So there's C, demonic realm, death, yes, and then also Hades. What does that mean? It means this. Death will have to give up its consequence of sin. What is the consequence of sin? Death. Death will have to stand before God and be and be judged because death will be no more. That sounds strange, doesn't it? Death will no longer be a thing, instead it will be cast into hell. What about Hades? It's the realm of the dead. The realm of both wicked and righteous. That too will be will be cast into eternal judgment. There will no longer be a, a place of the damned, a place for dead, where people die, and also a place of just the realm of the dead, spiritual dead. All of these things will be destroyed in hell. Right? If we're making the distinction damned and hell, the damned will be thrown into hell. So will death. There will be no more death. So will Hades. There will be no more Hades. On that final day, all of these things will yield to God. The only death that will occur one last time will be the second death. And it will be the final death for anyone for the rest of eternity. Death gives up those who are in it. They will stand before God. So on and so on. Now, you might be wondering, well, what about us? What about the believer? What takes place when all mankind stands before God? John says there's books. Now, follow me, okay? In the same way that God does not sit upon literal furniture, God is also not going to lean lean back in his chair, as it were, and pull out a book. And then say, ah, uh, Lily, let's see, putting on his holy glasses, let's see, Lily, there you are, Lily. These books are symbolic of what? The perfect omniscience of God. The perfect all-knowingness of God. The books are symbolically saying that God, whose eye is like a blazing fire, knows every thought, knows every action, knows every intention of the heart of man, from the first man to the last man. And here's also what God knows. God knows if our faith in Christ is true. There is nothing hidden from God that will not be revealed on that final day. I said in our prayer, um, it, it is it is horrific if we were to think, if, if all of the sins that we've ever done, imagine if someone published a book of all the sins that you've ever done, and said, read it. See everything that Anthony has done. All of us would be clamoring from that book, right? Let me see. And we would be horrified. And yet, God takes note of every deed, every act, every thought that we have ever done. Not in a literal manner of a book. God does not need a book to recall the things that he knows. He knows all things of all time. Augustine referred to or described these books as representing the divine memory that in fa- of God that infallibly records all deeds, words, thoughts, and even motives. God has, with infallible observation, noted every deed of every man. The scriptures even declare that even our, our idle words, our w- words said in jest, will be accounted for on the day of judgment. Now, That might make some of us, at this moment, quite uncomfortable. For some, these words might even bring back terrible memories of people in your past, maybe ministers, who tried to scare you into holiness. I can remember being taught that on the day of judgment, God will have a video of our lives. And He will uh, play them before our very eyes. So that we can see all of the misdeeds that we have committed in the flesh, all the thoughts, all the actions, the things that, that we thought nobody was seeing but God was recording. I was taught that all of our sin will be brought before, God's, or before our eyes and we will see just how vile we are and how we have been. And we will have no argument against the righteous verdict of God. I don't know if that's anything that you've been taught. Well, let's do this. Let's first address the unbeliever. What's going to happen to the unbeliever on that day? The unbeliever seems to be the focus of the 20th chapter. John sees that there's there's two books. They're both open. One, the book of life. The other one has a a name, but symbolically, it's the name of those who have rejected Christ. And their names are symbolically inscribed in it, right? If you have not trusted in Christ... If you have not believed in Christ alone for your salvation, then allow these words to be a warning of the coming judgment of God and, and allow them to draw you near to Christ, who is able to save you from coming judgment. For the unbeliever, there will be a day when the verdict of God will go forth, not in favor of the believer, but against the believer, and they will have no defense Revelation 20, verse 13, the sea gives up their dead, which are in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead, which are in them, and they were judged, everyone, according to Son of his last word, according to their deeds. Notice from where those who are being judged came. They came from the sea. They came from Hades, yes, but the focus is the sea. They are those who have lived lives that emulate their father, the devil. And when death came, they joined him in the depths of darkness and torment. On the day of judgment, John sees that they've been raised to stand and be judged by God once and for all. Death and Hades give up the dead that were in them. But notice verse 4. John describes those who were beheaded because of the testimony of Christ and the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image. And those who had not received the mark of the beast, listen to this, as coming to life. And reigning with Christ for a thousand years. Meaning this, those who do not meet this criteria that passed away are referred to in verse 5 as being the dead. Those who do not come back to life after one thousand years are described as the dead. Those who die in Christ are not described as the dead. They're described as those who are alive, not dead. The faithful are not dead. They're alive. The unfaithful, the unbeliever, is described as being dead. So in Revelation 11 or 20, verse 11 through 15, every time you see the dead, it's actually referring to the unbeliever. Because throughout the scriptures in Revelation, those who have died are not in Christ, are not described as being dead, but being alive. So when death and Hades yield up the dead, it's another way of saying the unbeliever is raised to stand before God and receives the final verdict of God's damnation upon them who are dead. They die again, is what it's meant to say. They're judged according to now their deeds. The dead are judged according to their deeds. We'll get to the other deeds part in a moment. All men are created with a knowledge of God. All men have suppressed the truth of God in unrighteousness. We know this. All men, because of corruption of sin, seek to honor themselves and not God. They perform good deeds that are not offered in the, to glory of God, but to themselves. Their satisfaction is not found in God, but in, in the lower things of this world. Romans 3.25, they exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the, cre- the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed. Amen. God will judge all the unbelievers on what basis? On the basis of His holy law. The law which Paul says in Galatians, two things. The law that Paul says in Galatians was given in order to instruct us concerning our sin and our need for a Savior. The law is the revelation of God's holy moral standard. It is the law that is written on our hearts that all men... Who are corrupted by sin, suppress and push down, push away because of sin's defilement. The law is that which reveals our sin and our inability inability to please God. For we are unable to perfectly keep God's law. Galatians 3.24, therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. So that we may be justified by faith. For the unbeliever, they will be judged based upon how well they did in keeping the law. Let me ask you, saints. Your believers, how well do you do in keeping the law? The unbeliever will be judged based upon his ability, um, on how well he kept the law. And here's, here is going to be the result, the verdict. All men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Men will be judged, unbelievers will be judged upon his keeping of the law. And he will fail. He will fail every single one of the tests before God. The unbeliever has no chance if he thinks that judgment will be based upon whether or not his good deeds outweigh his bad deeds. The unbeliever will not be able to stand before God and say, well, I've done some good things. The Lord says that all of those good things done by the unbeliever will be considered as filthy rags before God. The unbeliever will not be able to say, I, I think I've been good enough, I've, I've done well enough, i I've tried to be as charitable as possible. But doing these things apart from faith in God will not be accepted by God. The unbeliever, when God executes his righteous judgment, he will not have a court hearing. There will not be a, a case. Evidence will not be brought forth. There will be not a moment in which there, the uh, the the. Uh, the unbeliever will be able to have a moment to speak to God, to point his finger at God. You've heard many people who say that when I get to heaven, I've got a few things that I want to say to God. You will not; They will not be allowed to say a thing. Every mouth will be closed. The unbeliever will not be able to approach the bench of the judge, nor will he be allowed to give his own defense. He will be judged by the... By the perfect foundation or by the perfect standard of the holy law. The basis for the judgment of God will be this. How well did you keep the law? And did you trust in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God? Did you forsake all of your attempts to earn a right standing before God? Did you trust in the perfect work and righteousness of Jesus Christ, the God man? Did you forsake all other pagan religions? Did you turn from the allurements of Babylon and the power of the seduction of the harlot? Did you see the lies of the false prophet for what they were? Did you refuse to bow your knee to the authority of the beast? Did you have a form of righteousness, but deny its power? Were you present in church? but not really present in church? Did you believe in Christ Jesus? Do you believe that He is very God, a very God, the Eternal One? That He is one with the Father in the Spirit? Do you believe that He has taken our flesh to heal our flesh? Do you believe that Christ is the long-awaited Messiah? Do you believe that His life, His death, and His resurrection and His ascension That all of these things are sufficient for your salvation. Dear ones, so much more could be said about what we, what do we believe in Christ? The unbeliever will be judged upon his ability or lack thereof to keep the, the law of God perfectly and whether or not he turned to Christ who was able to keep the law on our behalf. God is a perfect and righteous judge. He will judge those who say no to these things. But also, because He is perfect and righteous, there will be degrees of punishment for those who can say, who, who will say no to these things. Each man will be judged properly according to his deeds. But punishment is punishment. Now, what about the, the believer? What about you? You who say, I believe in Christ. What will be your fate on that day of final judgment? For the believer... <clears throat> You will not experience the same kind of judgment as the unbeliever. Verse 15, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Not a literal book, but a symbol of the divine knowledge of God. It is the symbolic Lamb's book of life. Those who are found in this book are those who God has loved with an everlasting love. Those who are found in this book are those who have held fast to the testimony of Christ and to the Word of God. They are those who could say yes to all of the questions that I just asked. Those found in this book will offer a, a yes and a resounding amen to all of the questions that I have just asked and more. This symbolic, this symbolic book is, is a book of the all-knowingness of God. Yes, yes. But is also a book of those that he has foreloved before the foundation of the world. God has known you. God has loved you. And he has ordained that you would belong to him. He has predestined you to eternal life. There was never a time when those who were in this book were not known by God. He's never began to begin to love you, but has loved you from the foundation of the world. And if you have trust in Christ, let me say to you, I pray with, with encouragement, you will not stand before God and have your sins recounted to you. This book will be simply a book that will affirm your confession and make your election sure. Paul said in Ephesians 1-7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to his riches of grace, the riches of his grace. Do not for one second believe, I think, a lie and I think a a wrong teaching that you will stand before God and that he will recount every single one of your sins before you who are trusting in Christ. I think, I believe that on that day, we will be able to plead the blood of Christ and we will not stand before God and have all of our sins recounted. Now, now, where does that come from? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Bear with me for a moment. Paul says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, listen to this, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. Listen to this, whether good or evil. The consistent teaching of scripture is that when we have trusted in Christ, our sins are wiped clean. When we have trusted in Christ, though our sins were as scarlet, they will be white as snow, that our sins are actually forgotten by God. Hebrews 31, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 31 and Hebrews 8 both declare from God, I will be merciful toward their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. God does not keep a record of wrongs. This is what is declared in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. God is love. Isaiah 38 verse 17. You have cast my sins behind your back, the prophet says. You will remember David's celebrating God's forgiveness saying, Psalm 103, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. These verses do not teach that on that day of judgment, God will say, Now now listen, uh, Moses, listen, Isaiah. I want you to, to watch and observe all of the sins that you have committed in your life. Rather, Scriptures teach, That on that day of judgment, God will separate the sheep and the goat, the wheat and the chaff. That he will say to his people, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom of God prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I don't believe that your sins will be recounted. I believe that when you stand before God, and you will, That it will not be so that God can recount your sins and judge you. Rather, I believe that it is so that God can recount your good deeds and reward you. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The unbeliever will not receive any good in terms of rewards, but each one Will receive that which is good, which is due to them, good or evil. For the unbeliever, they will receive punishment, which in the perspective of God is good for their sin. For the believer, they will receive rewards, good rewards for the good things that they have done for the glory of God. Will you stand before the judgment seat of God? Yes. It will be like stand, my, I can't say it. It will be like standing before the judge who is saying, here is your inheritance. There, there are, there are unique people in the world who are who, out of uh, for some in, uh, wonderful reason, are called to court, and they are called to court to stand before a judge. And the judge is not there to send them to jail. The judge is there to say, "Here's an inheritance that belongs to you." It, anybody want to go to court for that reason? <laughs> yeah, I do. Revelation eleven verse eighteen. B. The time. This is the last day. The time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name. Listen this, small and great. And to destroy those who destroy the earth has come. That final day, the righteous are declaring, the time has come, Lord, for you to reward your saints, to reward your prophets. I love this part because I been into this part. To reward those who fear your name, the small and the great. Those of little reputation and those who everybody knows. To receive rewards from God. On the day of judgment, the wicked will be punished. And if you are in Christ, you are righteous and you will be rewarded. This is why your good deeds matter. This is why you're, you're being kind to your neighbor. I'm going to say this in passing. Gosh, I've got to, I've got to stop. But Listen, I went to the gas station by my house. It's cheapest gas in Bakersfield. Don't come over there. I don't want a line over there. I was gathering pennies and nickels and, and whatever else I could for my car. I had about $8.95. I went into the gas station. I made a comment because they had, they had revamped the gas station. I said to the owner, who's not a believer, obviously. He, he, he's a Middle Eastern man who wears a turban. And he said, I said to him, this place looks great. You guys have done a wonderful job with the place. He said, thank you, buddy. I stood in front of him and I'm counting my change. Here you go, have a good day. I go and start pumping my gas. And instead of $8.95, he rounded up to $9. might not mean a lot to you, but when you're searching for pennies and nickels, that extra nickel means something. I went back into that store and I said, thank you so much for that. You didn't have to do that, but I really appreciate it. And he goes, it's only five cents, my friend. Don't worry about it, but you're welcome. Have a good day. He's an unbeliever. Doing good to a fellow human being. How much more you, men and women of God, boys and girls of God, how much more should we do good to our fellow men? The moments when you can say, I'll open that door for you. They are simple kindnesses. They are simple deeds that for the believer may open up an opportunity For you to share the gospel with someone. And even if not, for you to know that you have done good to your fellow man They matter in the end. They matter in the end. Your good deeds matter in the end. Your good attitudes matter in the end. Your kindnesses, they matter in the end. God, God help me to remember that. They matter in the end. There's so many times, I'm going to be honest with you, here's my confession, there's so many times throughout my week where the pastor jacket comes off And I'm just me. And I think that there's a distinction. And there's not. There must not be. Who I am right now must be who I am when I leave this place and tomorrow. And when I'm dealing with customers. And when customers have bad (laughs) attitudes. That cannot affect who I am in Christ. It must not. And here's the ultimate reward of it. Because it all matters in the end. Some may say, I just want to be there. I do too. That's that's reward in and of itself. But God has so much more for those who do not hide their talents, but invested them into this world while you're here. Do it. It matters. Don't let the unbeliever outgood deed you. Know this, God will judge the living and the dead. Judgment will be right and true. There's a way to escape judgment. It's to believe in Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. There's a way to receive good things in the end. And it's walk in the steps of Christ. Be good to your fellow man. You will be rewarded in the end. Not your sins recounted if you've trusted in Christ. If not, if you've not trusted in Christ, believe in Him that you may know your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Let us pray.